Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. Merry Christmas. We're continuing our series on Advent and the words of Advent. We began this series with the message that Jesus is our hope. We continued on to talk about Jesus being our peace. Last week, we focused on Jesus, our joy, and that he gives us a joy that's not conditioned on the circumstances, but a, an abiding joy that's found in him. Well, in this message, we move on to the, the fourth word, which is Jesus, our love. And we're going to light the fourth candle and the fifth one being the Christ candle, which we light for Christmas Eve. This idea of Jesus being our love, it sounds a little different than the others, right? Jesus, our hope, kind of has a ring to it, our peace, our joy. When we say Jesus is our love, it is almost that we want to exchange that and say we receive the love of Jesus. But in this message, we're going to focus on this idea that what the love that we have really is the love of Jesus. Jesus is the love that we have. And we'll identify how that love is so unique than any other type of love. In fact, it's so unique that there's not even a good English word to describe it. And it goes back to the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures that God defines himself in this type of love. And then we'll move forward to the New Testament in the same way that God defines himself as love, not just that he has love or that he gives love, but that God himself is love. So again, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas as we celebrate on this Sunday right before uh, Christmas comes, a little later this week. What a special time it is and what a joy that you've joined with us on this message. And I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to speak to you about Jesus, our love. So let me light the Advent candle. We'll pray and then we'll take a moment to watch a brief Bible project video about this word love and what it means to us in light of scripture. Join with me in prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you that your love is not just an attribute or a characteristic that you practice, but that it is part of who you are. And so we thank you that you give us that type of love, that it's not conditioned, it's not moved by conditions, but it is who you are. And so I pray that as we come to the word, that you would open our ears to hear. But maybe more than any other message and that we hear, God, just because you so love us, that you so want to speak to us from a place of love, I pray that we would have a heart to receive not only the teaching of love, but to genuinely and fully embrace the love that you have for us. 
And so we thank you for it. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this love that we desire to fully embrace in Jesus' name. Amen. Now join with me as we watch this brief video clip about love as presented by the Bible Project. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day was a cousin language of Hebrew, that is Aramaic, in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting more nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, 
the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. I think one of the strongest things that I heard through that video was how God redefined what love looks like, and especially in his son, Jesus Christ, that there was a whole new frame of reference for the early church about how they were to love, and it was really modeled after Jesus himself. We can see that God is really trying to redefine love in light of who he is versus the culture around him. But you know, this, this isn't something that began with Jesus himself. Jesus was the fulfillment of it, but we actually see it going back to Exodus. And that's where I want us to begin with the scriptures in this message, uh, Exodus chapter 34. And we come to this story where Moses is meeting with God and God gives him instructions, says, Moses, I want you to uh, bring two tablets and and on these tablets then I want you to meet with me and I'm going to meet and tell you about what this covenant is going to look like between myself and you and and the people of Israel And, and so this is where we pick it up Exodus 34 verses 4 through 7 and it's Moses meeting with God but here's what we're going to really focus on is God's introduction of himself how does he present himself to Moses and to the people whom Moses is then going to present about God and and introduce them to who God is. So Exodus 34, four through seven. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first, and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took his hand in his hand, two tablets of stone. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, as God is describing who he is to Moses, isn't it amazing that he describes himself in his characteristics, that he talks about being abounding in this grace and mercy and compassion. You know, I I think many times we would tend to think that God would want to strike fear into the people. And there was moments of fear, to be sure, because they sensed his power. But when it comes to this meeting point, God comes to Moses and he says, here is the Lord. Let me 
let me describe or let me introduce myself. Now, in this introduction, he repeats a word a couple times. And as we're reading along, you probably noticed it. It was the word steadfast love. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And that was spoken a couple times, this compounding the word steadfast and love put together a couple of times. The, the word in Hebrew that's used is, and, and it takes a little rolling of the tongue or a strong uh, accent at the beginning, chesed, chesed. Uh, and it's H-E-S-E-D, chesed. And we really don't have a good English word to translate this. And, and that's why if you're reading the Bible, whatever your translation is, you may see that there's a couple different translations or ways that it's interpreted. So in some, they say it's God's loving kindness or God unfailing love, or they'll just use the word love in the NIV. They might have it written that way. Uh, or as I said in the translation I'm using, it's his steadfast love. Now, there's a good reason that it's difficult to translate this word, not only in English, but in any other language. It's, it's because it's so unique in what it's describing. It's, it's more than just a single word. It's more than just love. It's a love that's also warm and compassionate, but also covenantal. It's, it's faithful, it's devoted love, it's gracious love. There's, there's all these things that come around this idea of chesed. And it's challenging then for interpreters to write this out. So to capture this idea, they put this compound or hyphenated way of saying it. They combine love with another word, steadfast love, unfailing love, or his loving kindness. Maybe you would understand it this way. It kind of captured my thinking is that if you've ever been in the south or you've been in an area with a tropical region or a place where there's high humidity uh, in the summer times, one word that we use uh, when I was living in Kansas City and the humidity of the summer would hit us, uh, we had used the word, somebody would say, what's it like outside? And we'd say, muggy. Muggy. Muggy was the word that we used to describe how things felt outside. And if, you were ever, if you've ever been in that type of environment where it's very hot, you maybe use the same word. It's muggy. Well, what exactly is muggy? Muggy isn't a, a, a way of defining a temperature, but there is a lot that goes into this feeling of a temperature or outdoor setting that feels muggy. Uh, the word conveys a few things. Uh, it's probably warm or even hot. It's very humid outside. Uh, the air feels very dense or thick. And also it's uncomfortable. It's really just kind of has this uncomfortable feel about it. And it may even cause you to perspire excessively. And we put all of those things together. And instead of trying to say, well, it's hot, humid, and I, I feel overly heated and uncomfortable in it. When I just use the word, what's it like outside? If I say it's muggy, it really encapsulates all of those things. You get the idea. And so it's similar with this word that we use, chesed, about God to define the type of love that he has for us. And he's, he's talking to Moses and he's saying, who am I? What does this look like? 
he describes himself with this love, but it's not just affection. It's not just that he's attracted to something. In fact, it's more based out of this idea that it's he himself is loving, that love emulates out of him by showing compassion. And it's tied very much to this idea of deeds or some type of act of kindness and compassion. So yes, there's a feeling there, warmness and affection. Yes, there's a devotion. There's a love and commitment that's there. But that commitment also shows itself in action by deeds of graciousness and being overly generous. And so all of this goes into this idea of how God identifies himself. Now, I think about introductions. When I read this passage, I thought, okay, so God's going to introduce himself to Moses and to the people of Israel. How do we typically do an introduction? How do I introduce myself? And there's a couple different ways that came to mind. One was, I thought, well, I introduce myself based on my occupation. Extending my hand and a handshake or now an elbow bump or fist bump. Hello, my name's Andy Lovelace and I'm a, I'm a pastor. That's what I do. So I might introduce myself with my occupation or how I spend my time or my area of expertise. Or maybe I introduce myself through an association to another person. If they know my wife or they're familiar, have a, already have a relationship with her and know her, I would say, I'm Andy Lovelace, I'm Jerry's husband. And that's how I'm introducing myself is by association to her. Or weddings that Jerry and I have been to, we'll introduce ourselves. Hi, Andy and Jerry Lovelace. And we are uh, friends of the bride's parents. Uh, maybe we make that association. So another way that we might introduce ourselves, one more that came to mind is sometimes I've introduced myself by where I live. Um, uh, especially if I'm overseas, I'll introduce myself. I'll say I'm a pastor and then I'll say where I pastor. I'm, I'm from Colorado, United States. And so they'll have an idea of where that's from. Or if they're from the United States, I'm from Western Colorado and uh, the West Slope, the best slope. Uh, I'll introduce myself in, the, in that way. So this is oftentimes how we would introduce ourselves. But in this passage, here's what's fascinating about this. In this passage that we're reading in Exodus, God introduces himself not by association to his works or even his power or other people or in relationship to the creation. I'm God, the one who created all of this. He has done that. He is known as that. But in this particular instance, when he's beginning a covenant with the people of Israel and he's asked Moses to bring these tablets up, he doesn't say, Moses, associate me to this creation or associate me to this people or this uh, place. He says, Moses, here's who I am. I am the God of Hesed. I am the loving God a covenant God who is gracious and abounding, who is patient and, and just full of this uh, faithfulness towards you and towards the people. What a beautiful picture of a God who introduces himself not by something else or someone else, but by 
his very character and his very nature of who he is. So let me just encapsulate that idea that when God introduces himself and when he introduced himself to you, when he desires to be known by other people, he doesn't start with his power and accomplishments, but instead he tells us how we can expect to experience him. This is God saying, hello, my name is God. And if you're around me and you spend time with me, this is what you're going to experience from me. That's absolutely astounding. And it's such a beautiful way that we relate to God and the way that he desires that we connect with him is that we know him by his love, by his attributes that draw us close into relationship with him. Now, if you imagine for a moment, what if we introduced ourselves that same way? What if I said, hi, my name's Andy and I'm patient and I am kind and I like to laugh a lot. I enjoy jokes and uh, dry, dry humor. First of all, I think people would look at you or I, if we introduce ourselves that way, they would kind of wonder what's wrong with us. Why aren't we using a standard introduction? Uh, but beyond that, I think of myself, why don't I introduce myself the way that God introduces himself? And it became really clear to me really quickly why I don't. Well, one is because the attributes that I would want to introduce myself by, let's say patience, aren't always true of me. So I can't always say that I'm Andy and I'm patient because I have to start adding qualifiers to that. I have to say, mostly, or I try to be patient. And so when I would introduce myself in that way, it wouldn't always be true of me. And so all these qualifiers would have to come into play. If I don't, what would happen after a while is the person that I'm introducing themselves, they could follow me around and maybe it would take three months, maybe three weeks, maybe three days. And they would say, um, that thing about you being patient, Andy, um, I'm going to call that into question because I've seen you a few times not exhibit great patience. And so it'd be hard for me to justify my actions or just say that this is who I am because it's not an absolute about myself. I would have to qualify it. So instead, we tell people what we do, who we know, where we're from. But God... God tells us who he is without qualifiers, without conditions. He says, this is who I am. You can know me in this way. And one of the strongest, most consistent and, and, and most repeated ways that God presents himself to you, to all of humanity, is God says, I, I am loving. I am a faithful, loving, compassionate God who goes above and beyond to bestow blessing and kindness upon you. Not only is that, that how God wants to be known, that's how he has showed himself to be over and over to millions upon millions of people so that those who know him would be able to say, yeah, that's, that's God. I know him. I know what he's like. And when he says he's loving, that's no joke. That's not him just trying to put the best foot forward. This is who God is. He is 
love. Well, it's really remarkable that God does this. But do you know there's even something that would make your jaw drop a little bit more is that he invites you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus, this invitation extends to us to actually introduce him to others. And he trusts us, empowers us to demonstrate who he is and introduce him to other people. Now, I, I would just say that there's very few people that I trust to introduce me to others if I'm not present physically and to then represent me before an audience or before other people and say, if you watch me, you're going to see who this person is. But God does that with us. He makes this invitation where he says, this is who I am. And now, Christian, now my disciple, you get to introduce me to the rest of the world and you get to show them what I'm like. Oh, wow. When I think of that, what a, what a great honor, but what a great responsibility. Here's a beautiful picture of us being able to see what that looks like in 1 John 4. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. As John is writing about what this experience is like, he emphasizes over and over our responsibility to be loving. Let's read it. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is really amazing in what John is writing in his letters. He's, he's saying, listen, we, we haven't seen God. In fact, he says nobody's seen God. Even Moses, God says, I, I can't reveal myself completely to you because it'll just destroy you. You'll be overwhelmed. But God came to Moses in the midst of the cloud. And in this moment, as John is talking, he's saying, listen, nobody's seen God. Nobody has literally seen him. We've seen the pillar. We've seen the cloud. But we haven't seen God. But then he says this. He says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought love one another. Love one another. No one has ever seen God. And then right on the heels, there's a pause there. And then it's kind of like he, he wants to say, here's this is the reality. Nobody's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Perfected in us. He's He's telling us, he's saying, listen, people can't see God. Nobody's seen him. But if we love, 
if we genuinely love, if we chesed, if we, if we are in covenant with God, and if we love people the way that God loves us, so loved us that he gave his son because of that covenant, not willing that any of us would fall away, but so loved us that he gave us his son, Jesus Christ. He says, if we can get a hold of this love, if we can live that type of love, sacrificial love, love that's so full of grace, love that's, that's so generous and it's overflowing, if we can live that way with one another, if we can sacrifice for others in that way, then God's love is, is in us. That's not us. That's not human love. That's chesed. That's God's love in us expressing itself out to the world around us. And when that happens, it's an advent. It's a revealing of the Christ. It's our, it's our waiting and waiting, and the world is waiting for something that was relieve the pain, something that will make a difference in their life. And then as we wait and we receive and we live in the love of God and it's revealed to the world around us, nobody's going to say, oh, there's, there's God. <laughs> but I think maybe that if they see that kind of love in you, if they see that love in the church, it's in that moment they can say, I've seen God. I've seen what God would look like. I've seen what God's heart looks like, his compassion. I've seen his grace because I've seen it in his people. May we be that kind of people. May you, may I be that type of person in whom God's love is being perfected. So that as the world waits, they find that God has come in Christ. The Messiah has come. Good news, great joy. He's come with the love of God. And while he's ascended and he's waiting to come back for the second advent as we wait and continue for his return, we have a very unique opportunity to introduce God to the world not by just his great works. We, sure, we want to see great power, absolutely. We believe that he demonstrates great power. By his works in the world, the creation, yes, we want people to see the mountains, the trees, the oceans, and see his handiwork, the heavens, the stars, absolutely. But like God himself did to Moses and the people of Israel, Maybe even more simply, but more profoundly, you and I have an opportunity this Christmas to introduce God to the world, for people to truly know him, genuinely know God through the love that he has placed within us and that we put on display by our acts of kindness and mercy, by our own demonstration of chesed and the way that God loves. Join with me in prayer as we just ask God to fill us with his divine love and also for him to empower us to put it on display 
so that the world might know him as those who call him Lord and Savior know him. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is both a privilege and a tremendous challenge, an honor and a great responsibility to be able to introduce you to the world around us. Lord, when you introduced yourself to us, it was through your love. In fact, one of the scriptures we know so well, God, is that you so love us that you gave us your son, that we would not perish, but we would have everlasting life. We know this love through Jesus Christ. You put it on display that you covered over our brokenness with his life. You so loved us and you so stuck to that covenant that you wouldn't break it, but that you would fulfill your part even when we haven't always fulfilled our part. And so we thank you, Lord, for that kind of love, but, but we also recognize the responsibility. It's not a love for us just to keep warm and hold us close and give us great feelings about you and about life. It's the love that's been poured out that you've asked us to love others with that type of love. And that's the very demonstration, that's the very introduction of you to the world is that they would see that kind of caring, devoted, generous, overly generous love that pours out beyond just what we have capacity to do on our own, but that's an empowered love by you to the world around us. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for your first coming, that you gave us your son, Jesus, that you came as a baby and died on the cross and now ascended into heaven, that you await this, the, the Father's instruction to, to go and come and gather up your people, and we anticipate that time. But until then, Lord, we know there's a lot of introductions that need to be made, a lot of people that need to see you. And so, Father, empower us to show that through the love that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This Christmas, may you experience the deep love of God, his unfailing love, his everlasting love and faithfulness, his loyal love that is overly generous to you. God bless you. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.